You're listening to Parkway's podcast. Over the past number of weeks, we've been going through this message series called Breakthrough. Um, We've been talking about finding breakthrough in our lives. We've covered things like last week, we talked about finances. Um, The week before that, I was talking about breakthrough peace. We had Pastor Ken here. I don't know what he talked about because I wasn't in this room, but I'm sure it was awesome, and I know it was awesome. Um, But we've just been going through, and we've just been believing for breakthrough um, in our lives this year. Um, So today, I want to talk to you guys about breakthrough strength, about having breakthrough strength in our life, having strength um, to just do incredible things, strength that only God can give us. And and to do that this morning, um, I want to talk to you guys about a book and a man named Nehemiah. Um, if you don't know, Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. Um, it, he, it's just this like, short little book. There's like 12 chapters. It's just kind of in the middle of it all. Um, but Nehemiah is an incredible man. He was an incredible man. And I think sometimes he's kind of an unsung hero of the Old Testament. He kind of gets cast in the shadow of uh, the other characters like Moses um, and, and all the other crazy things that happened. But Nehemiah uh, was a man in the Bible who saw incredible breakthrough in his life. Who, who had strength uh, to do incredible things. And Nehemiah's biggest claim to fame um, is the fact that he uh, led the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem after Jerusalem had been destroyed. So this morning, um, I kind of want to flip this breakthrough thing a bit on its head because I think so often when we talk about breakthrough, we envision it like there's this spiritual wall that we're like breaking through and busting through the bricks. Like when I designed the graphic for Breakthrough, I was like, oh, well, obviously we're going to have some sort of brick wall with some words popping out of it. That was clear. Um, when I went on Google and I was searching Breakthrough just to get some inspiration, it was just like pages and pages of brick walls busting down and glass being broken and Breakthrough, things smashing, everything's broken, Breakthrough. Um, but this morning, I want to propose the idea that sometimes Breakthrough doesn't come with breaking through something, but comes in the restoration of something. Sometimes the breakthrough in our lives is just getting back up on our feet. Sometimes the breakthrough in our lives is just getting back to a right place with God, and that is the breakthrough. And and so that's the kind of breakthrough that Nehemiah had. So Nehemiah's story gives us great lessons on what it takes to rebuild the walls. And in this case, in Nehemiah's case, it was actual physical walls that he was rebuilding. But I think that there's some spiritual parallels to the, sport, to the story that speak um, to a spiritual rebuilding that we can take and apply to our lives and that we need to achieve breakthrough in our lives, to get the strength to rebuild things, to, to get back on the right track with Jesus. So, so let's take a look at the book of Nehemiah, and, and to really understand Nehemiah, we need to do a bit of background, um, and this is my favorite part about, about studying and reading the Bible, is just figuring out the history and the context around something. So to really understand Nehemiah, we need to know um, what is happening. So let me give that to you as quick as possible, because history can be long and very, very boring. So the book of Nehemiah actually concludes the history of the Old Testament. Like, it's not the last book in the Old Testament, but it actually concludes the story of the Old Testament. Like, the books that come after Nehemiah in the Old Testament um, are things like we call wisdom literature. Um, then there's the prophets. And it's like all of that stuff that happens after the book of Nehemiah um, is actually happening within the story 
that's already happened. So like you have between Genesis and Nehemiah, and then everything that comes after that just kind of fits in there somewhere. Like in the New Testament, we have the book of Acts. And then after Acts, we have all of the letters that Paul wrote and the different disciples wrote. It's like all those letters being written happened somewhere inside the book of Acts. Like the book of Acts tells a story, and all those things happened at some point in that story. Um, so that's important to know, that this was the last book, the conclusion of Old Testament history. Um, so at this point in, in Old Testament, in the story of Israel, um, things aren't going very well. Israel as a nation is in complete pieces in both um, a spiritual sense, um, a geographical sense, and in a physical sense. Like, the nation is literally scattered all over the place. The nation of Israel, the people of Israel, no longer all together as a group of people. Um, the city of Jerusalem, their like capital city, is literally in ruins. It's destroyed. Um, and in a spiritual sense, they're completely lost. They have disobeyed God, and they have found themselves in a very, very dark place. So let me give you a quick recap of how they got here. Um, we all know the story of Moses, right? So we got Moses. He's got the nation of Israel in Egypt. The ten plagues happen. They cross the water. Everything's going great. They mess up. They repent. They mess up. They repent. They just keep going like that. Um, then we have Joshua, right? Then Joshua takes, leads Israel into the promised land. They cross the Jordan River. They take down Jericho. Um, then they start to take over the whole promised land. So then at the end of Joshua, the Israelites have, they've gotten their land that God promised to them. Um, and then we have judges. So what happens at this point, this is where things start to kind of fall apart a little bit. Because what happens is, like the land, the promised land had people already there. Like there was people already living in that land. And these people had other gods um, that they worshipped and all different things. So when the nation of Israel showed up and started living in this land, they kind of started to notice these other gods and how these people worshipped these other gods. And they were like, hey, that looks like more fun than this god that just led me out of the wilderness and protected me for 40 years. Um, I'm going to go after this. I'm going to go see what this god's doing. And they started to just um, kind of slowly fall away from listening to the God, the one and only God um, that had been with them for so long. They started to have a bad attitude towards God. That's like one of the most important pieces of the Old Testament. And when you're looking at the fall of the nation of Israel, it was their attitude towards God that got them into so much trouble. So then in the book of Judges, um, we see this pattern where God set, raises up a leader who goes and says, hey, Israel, you guys are being stupid like smarten up and then Israel's like oh yeah we are being stupid and then they repent um, and then they're having a good time with God and then they fall back into their old ways and then God raises up another judge and he's like hey you guys are being stupid what are you doing and then they're like yeah I'm being stupid let's and then they keep doing this pattern over and over and over again um, and then at the end of Judges this is like Old Testament history 101 right now this is so good this is why I went to Bible college so I could do this um so then at the end of, at the end of book of Judges, um, the nation of Israel, they're like, hey, look it, we just keep messing up. Like, God, you need to send us a king. Like, we need one person who's like our ruler, who can like be our authority, because all the nations around them had kings that ruled them. And the Israel, the nation of, of Israel, they didn't have a king, they just followed God. 
And so they saw these other nations with, who had these kings, and they're like, we want what they have. And God was like, my plan was never to really give you a king, but if that's what you want, I'll give it to you. So he did. So then we have like King Saul, King David, King Solomon. We all know these names. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of kings that just kind of get mentioned that we don't really know the story of that do terrible, terrible things. And then it's the kings who actually lead nation into dark, dark places. So what happens is after King Solomon dies... Um, that the nation of Israel actually splits into two pieces. So then you have one that keeps the name Israel, and then you have another piece that calls himself Judah. And in Judah is where the city of Israel, or the city of Jerusalem is. Uh, and that's where we kind of pick up the setting. So now you know the history of the Old Testament. That's, it's exciting stuff. It is. It's, it's very exciting. So it was because of Israel's persistent disobedience to God that they lost their land and, this, and the cities surrounding the nations um, took them into exile. So God told them, told Israel over and over again, gave them plenty of warnings, like if you keep disobeying me, um, I'm going to give you, hand you over to these nations around you. To uh, like we hear about the Babylonians and all those people. Like he's just like, I'm going to let them take you like, if you keep messing up. So that's what happens. Um, so God's people have literally just been spread all over, and they're in exile. They're in captivity by these other nations. They're very upset about this. Um, Israel begins to repent and turn back to God, which is good. Um, and, and they start to listen to his commands. And in the book just before Nehemiah, which is Ezra, uh, the prophet Ezra he goes back to Jerusalem. He finds the book of law or the book of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And he finds it, and everyone like freaks out. They're like, oh, we still have this. This is awesome. And they start reading it, and they start repenting. Then they rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, which is very important because in the Old Testament, the temple was where God is. So they rebuilt the temple. So now we pick up in a place where... Israel's starting to come back to things, but it's still a very dark time. Like, it's, it's obviously a very, very dark time for Israel because they haven't been living in their own land. They're kind of realizing all the stupid things they did and how they need to, to go back to God. Um, but amongst this darkness, there's like this glimmer of hope. Like, when Ezra comes and he finds the book of Moses and he starts to rebuild the temple, it's like there's this glimmer of hope. Like, things are going to get okay again. Um, and so that's where, that's where we pick up today. So there's a few lessons um, that we learned from Nehemiah. I'm so excited to preach this. I don't know why, I just really am, because um, this is an amazing book and an, such an incredible story. So um, where we pick up at the very beginning of Nehemiah, and just so you know, as a side note, Nehemiah actually wrote the book of Nehemiah. So if you hear the things like, I was this, like that's actually Nehemiah saying, I was, because he wrote it. So just as a side note. So at the very beginning, we have Nehemiah's brother comes to him. So Nehemiah is not living in Jerusalem at this time. He's actually in Persia, um, and he's the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Uh, so Nehemiah kind of, it's like the cupbearer to a king was like a pretty prestigious position. It was like you were still a slave and a servant, but like you were like the top of the slaves and the servants because you were like the cupbearer to the king. Um, which is very important, which meant that you would drink the wine before the king does to make sure it's not poisonous. Um, so that was a pretty important job. Um, I should get one of those. Uh, so, so Nehemiah's in Persia, hanging out with the king, 
drinking his wine for him, and his brother comes, and Nehemiah says to his brother, like, hey, what's going on in Jerusalem? Like, what, what's the state of Jerusalem? And his brother's kind of like, um, it, it's going okay. Um, there's been some people that have come back, so and on another side note, in the Old Testament, there's three major um, returns of the Israelites back to Jerusalem, and in the book of Ezra, two of them happen, and in the, later on in the book of Nehemiah, the last one happens. So at this point, there's already been some people who have returned to Jerusalem um, and starting to like work at bringing the city back to life. Um, so Nehemiah is very curious, like, how are these people doing? And Nehemiah's brother's like, they're doing okay, except for all of the walls in the city are busted down and the gates are, have been burned to the ground. And so things are going okay, but the city has no walls. And in that time, in, in Middle Eastern uh, time, at, when they were this, a city without walls was a very, very terrible, terrible thing. Um, you had no protection. You were vulnerable to enemies around you. It was just, it was never good to not have walls. So a city having its walls and its gates were the most important piece of a city. So after hearing this, Nehemiah is pretty upset. Um, and so this is what it says. This is chapter 1, verse 4. It says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. And then I said, this is Nehemiah's prayer to God, which is just the most incredible prayer. Um, it's so good. And this is what it says. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Exactly what I just said. See, I'm not just making stuff up. Um, <clears throat> but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizons, I will gather them from there and bring them back to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And he's talking about um, the king of Persia that he's about to go talk to. But this prayer is so incredible. It's like straight from Nehemiah's heart. Like he's just praying it like right from his heart. And it's like such a bold prayer. He's just like, hey God, remember when you said that if we started to, to obey your commands again, that you would bring us out of exile? Like that's happening. Like you said you were gonna do this. Like let's, let's get it done. Like he's bold. He's going for God with such boldness, but with such a broken heart for his people and for the city of Jerusalem. So that, this is our first lesson, that breakthrough comes with a repentant heart. The first thing uh, we need to, to take from this is that uh, breakthrough comes in our lives when we have a repentant heart. Nehemiah 
was honest about his sins. He said right in his prayer, like, he confessed his sins. He confessed the sins of the entire nation of Israel. He confessed the sins of his father and his family. Like, he just put it out there, and he was like, yeah, we messed up, okay? I get it. We messed up. I'm sorry. And he said that they acted wickedly towards God. But then, you see, Nehemiah was so troubled by the report of his, from his brother that he knew he had to do something about it. Like, Nehemiah was just like, no, I'm not going to just sit here and keep drinking the king's wine to make sure it's not poisonous for him. Like, I'm going to do something about this. But he also understood that to be able to do that, it was going to take an incredible amount of strength, and strength that only God could give Nehemiah. So he went to prayer, and the very first thing he does is repent. He doesn't just go to prayer and be like, God, I want to go back to Jerusalem. Like, give me the strength to do it. No, the very first thing he says in his prayer is like, forgive me for the sins I have committed. And this is a, a, a practice in the Bible that happens over and over again. And I think sometimes we miss it and we don't apply it to our lives completely. And it's the practice of consecration. And the best example of this is way back um, in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. So more history. So the Israelites were hanging out with Moses. Moses died, but not really. He just kind of disappeared. Um, yeah, you should read about that. It's kind of freaky. Uh, so Moses just disappears. Joshua takes over because Moses made him his second person. Um, <clears throat> and so they're about to cross the Jordan River. God is about to do something incredible. Like they spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness and now they're here at the Jordan River. The promised land is just on the other side. Like this is incredible. Like God's gonna come through for us. Like this is happening right now. And it says um, in Joshua 3, 4, it says, consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord is gonna do amazing things among you. Consecration, the practice of consecration is when we understand that God is about to do something amazing in our lives. And we believe and expect for God to do something amazing in our lives that we take the time to pause and repent of our sins and purify our hearts and our minds in preparation for what God is going to do before us. If we want God to do amazing things in our lives, if we want God to give us breakthrough in our lives, we must be willing to repent and purify ourselves of our sins. And God will forgive us. He'll be faithful to us as he was Nehemiah. When Nehemiah said in his prayer, he was saying to God, you told us that if we began to repent and come back to your commands, that even if you're exiled, we're at the furthest horizons, you would bring them back. There's no place too far for God to bring us back. There's no horizon that the Israelites... There's no distance the Israelites could go too far away from Jerusalem for God to bring them back. He promised them that if they came back to his commands. The second lesson is that breakthrough comes with courage. So like I said, Nehemiah was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes of Persia. That's a sweet name. So one day, he's with the king. He's standing beside the king. Um, and Nehemiah is clearly visibly sad. So <clears throat> the king says to Nehemiah, he's like, hey, like, what's wrong with you? Like, I know you're not sick, but you look sick. And the king says, this can only be sadness of the heart. 
And Nehemiah comes back to the king and he says, how can I not be sad? My people are living in this city with no walls. Like, things are not good for them. So the king says to Nehemiah, what can I do? And this is, this is, this doesn't happen. Like, a king does not do this for their cupbearer. This is a very rare situation. And it actually says right in the Bible, Nehemiah writes, I was very much afraid. Fear will almost always accompany an attempt to do the unusual for God. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the knowledge that what one is undertaking is worth the fear. Although Nehemiah knew the human emotion of fear, the faith and courage with which he faced the king enabled God to work on his behalf. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the knowledge that what one is undertaking is worth the fear. To achieve breakthrough in our lives, we need to have courage. We need to push past the fear that we have. Um, and even though we might feel it, like if you're feeling fear through the breakthrough, that's normal. Nehemiah straight up just said he was afraid of the king. Like the king could have been like, no, that's a dumb request. Cut your head off. Like it was a pretty intense moment for Nehemiah that the king was asking him this. But even though he was afraid, he still asked the king if he would allow him to go back to Jerusalem. So now he's asking the king like, hey, can I not be your servant anymore? Can I go back to Jerusalem and help them rebuild the walls? And not only did the king grant Nehemiah's request, he also um, gave him some letters so that he could travel through the country without any opposition. Like if someone was like, hey, who are you? He could be like, yo, I got a letter from the king. Just let me go. And so he, he sent him with the letters. He gave him supplies. Um, he gave him everything he needed to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. Because Nehemiah wasn't afraid to ask. Even, or he was afraid, but he pushed through. He had the courage to be straight up with the king and tell him what he wanted to do, that he wanted to go back to Jerusalem, that his heart was heavy for Jerusalem. The third thing is that breakthrough comes when we don't let our guard down. See, once Nehemiah arrived, the very first thing he did was inspect the city. He got on a horse and he rode around the city a few times and inspected it. And then he came up with a plan. He had a plan of how he was going to do this. And then he designated the work out to the Israelites who had returned to Jerusalem that were there. He started to designate out the work and uh, figure out how they were going to work together to do this. So the Israelites start, start to rebuild the wall and they actually start to make progress. Like, things are happening. And so some of the nations that were nearby um, took notice and they started uh, heckling them at one point. Um, and they were saying things like, oh, you guys will never finish. There's no way you're going to finish that wall. Like, it's, it's, it's so broken. Like, it's not going to happen. One of them actually says, like, man, you guys are so terrible at building walls. Like, if a fox ran on that wall, it would just fall over. So they're, like, saying that they're never going to finish. They're critiquing their, their handiwork, saying that it was no good. Um, and so when, when we want the breakthrough... We got to realize that the opposition is going to come. We got to not let our guards down. See, because what happened was they heckled them a little bit, but then the walls kept getting bigger 
And it says in the Bible when the walls were about halfway complete, so they were like half of the height they were supposed to be, but the wall was complete all the way around, so there was no more gaps in the wall. It says that uh, these people began to plot an attack on the city. So why, why did they do this? It was because as long as Jerusalem was in ruins, it wasn't a threat to them. Like, it was just a ruined city. It was just there. It didn't mean anything. But if it was rebuilt and God's people were to come back to Jerusalem and dwell in the city, it was an incredible threat to them, especially with the reputation that Israel had in battle. Like, if you read uh, the Old Testament um, and you read through Joshua when the Israelites move into the promised land and the, some of the battles that they fight, like, God did some pretty crazy things. Like, the Israelites had a reputation um, in battle of, like, they didn't lose because <laughs> they had God on their side. So for these people, the idea of uh, the city of Jerusalem being built up, and it wasn't just, like, a rebuilding of a city. It was, like, the rebuilding of this nation was, like, coming back from ruin. Like, it was an incredible threat to them. Um, so they were a little bit worried. So they started to plan an attack. attack. So um, Nehemiah hears about this, and he acts, acts really quickly. And what he ends up doing is he puts guards at um, any gaps that may be remaining. He's, he puts guards at the posts. Um, he has the men take shifts like, okay, for this amount of time, you're going to be guard, and then you're going to work on the wall, and then you're going to be guard then you're going to work on the wall. Um, and then he even had the people who are working, it says that they were to hold a sword in one hand and work with the other hand. So like they were always ready for battle. If someone were attacked, they had the sword ready to go. And in chapter 4, verse 23, uh, Nehemiah writes this. It says, Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off their clothes, or it would be like their armor. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. To get the job done, Nehemiah and the Israelites had to keep their guard up against the opposition. When we're in breakthrough, we need to keep our guard up against opposition. And that opposition is going to come from the devil. Because like the Amorites, the people who are, who are um, heckling them, the devil loves when we're not a threat to him. But he knows that when breakthrough comes... When we get breakthrough in our lives, when we get ourselves back up on our feet and we start listening to God and start doing what God says, when we repent of our past and rebuild our relationship with God, we become a threat to the devil and the evil that he's doing in this world. So how did Nehemiah overcome the opposition? With prayer and with a plan. With prayer and with a plan. Nehemiah is one of the most prayer warrior people in the entire Old Testament. Like he, if you read through the book of Nehemiah, which you should absolutely should, um, you'll see how many times Nehemiah just went to prayer with everything that happened to him. He just, first thing he would do is go right to prayer. But he also had a plan. He took the men he had and he started to figure out the way that they could be protecting themselves at all times. He had a plan. If you want to, to conquer the opposition that comes through your breakthrough, you need to pray about it, but you also need to have a plan of what you're going to do when that comes. So the rebuilding of the wall of, of Jerusalem was a breakthrough moment for Israel. It was a breakthrough moment for them. Things, 
like I said before, it was like they were in a dark place and hope was coming and rebuilding the walls was just like the next step of hope for them. And the breakthrough wasn't about overcoming as much as it was about restoring, about rebuilding and getting everything back on track. Sometimes in our lives, we find ourselves in positions like Israel was. Like things were going good with God. Um, and then we start to maybe have a bad attitude towards him. Maybe situations come and circumstances happen in our lives. We start to have a bad attitude towards God. And then maybe we start to just ignore God a little bit more. And then maybe we start to fall into temptation in different ways. We find ourselves in a place just like Israel was. And we lose our way and we need breakthrough to get us back. The breakthrough comes when we just get back on track. We get back on the path with God. So Nehemiah was able to bring Israel back into a right place with God because first of all, he repented and he boldly asked God for the strength to get the job done. If you read uh, this story, you'll see time and time again, uh, Nehemiah referenced just how hard it was to rebuild the walls, like the strength it took. Like there's numerous times throughout the first seven chapters where it talks about how the Israelite men were like complaining to him about like, this is really, really difficult. Like, this is hard. What are we gonna do? And Nehemiah just kept pushing them and telling them, you gotta finish the wall. We gotta rebuild the wall. And he kept praying and God gave them strength to do it. It's gonna take a lot of strength to find the breakthrough to rebuild our lives. The second thing is that Nehemiah had the courage to ask the king if he was able to go to Jerusalem. Even though Nehemiah was afraid he took courage in the knowledge that what he was going to be doing for God and for Israel was worth the fear and the risk. You know, a few weeks ago, I was preaching to the youth, um, and we were going over the parable of the sower, um, a pretty famous parable of Jesus where it talks about the farmer throwing the seed, and some land on the path, and some on the rocks, and some among the thorns, and then some land on the good soil. And in that parable, um, it talks about how the thorns how the plant's able to grow, but the thorns around it choke it out and it's unable to bear fruit. And then later on when Jesus explains what he was talking about, he says two very specific things represent the thorns. He says the love of money and worry, which seem like kind of like why would he reference like those two things specifically? First of all, he references money because that's the world's definition of success, which I won't get into because that's not the point I'm trying to make. But worry... <laughs> He references worry because worry cripples us from taking risk and from having courage. And it's that kind of worry that holds back our courage. And in that parable, it was about having fruit in our lives, about like having people around us experience God because we have God in us and, and they get to see that and it, it produces fruit. Breakthrough comes when we have the courage to push past our fear. And finally, Nehemiah didn't let himself or the Israelites put their guard down in face of opposition. The devil loves it when, in our li when our lives are in ruin. He loves it when our lives are in ruin because he doesn't have to worry about us. When we're like ruining our own lives, he's like, cool, go ahead. <clears throat> but when we're going after God, when we've rebuilt and we're back on our feet, we're believing for breakthrough in our lives, we're, when we start to live a lifestyle that Jesus would want us, like when we start to, to love people more and forgive more, we don't let poison into our lives. We 
stand up against sin and we, we fight it, the devil takes notice of that. We become a threat to him and the evil he's doing. And he's going to come up against us. But we need to be ready for that. We need to have a plan. We need to pray through it and believe that God is going to give us the breakthrough. Here's one last thought um, as I close. Like I said at the very beginning that Nehemiah was the concluding Old Testament history book. So then Nehemiah happens, 400 year gap, and then Jesus comes. But it's like if Nehemiah wasn't able to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, wasn't able to get Jerusalem back as a thriving city, the same Jerusalem that Jesus comes to 400 years later, the same Jerusalem where Jesus is crucified, where Jesus preaches, it's like Nehemiah set the stage for Jesus to come. He, he, he got everything ready, got all the pieces ready for Jesus to come. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that you need to do all these things and then Jesus can come into your life. No, I believe that Jesus can help you have courage. He can help you fight up against the devil. Um, he loves when we just repent um, and he just, oh, he just welcomes us with open arms and grace. But I think there's something to be said about having this when we get back on our feet. We set the stage to thrive in a relationship with Jesus. We set the stage for Jesus to just thrive in our life and do incredible, incredible things. So sometimes breakthrough isn't about actually breaking through something. Breakthrough is just about rebuilding something. So let's pray together this morning. Lord, I thank you for the strength that you gave Nehemiah to do the job that he did. God, that same strength that's available for us for the areas in our lives where we're maybe on the wrong path and we just need to get back to a right place with you. Where we, like Israel, we realize where we've messed up and we come to you repenting of what happened. And we need that strength to get back on that same path, Lord. It's not easy. It wasn't easy for them to rebuild these walls, Lord. And it's not easy for us to get back on the same path. It's not as simple as just standing up and going, Lord. It takes strength. God, strength that you can give us. Lord, if we just have the courage to do it and the brains to have a plan to get through it. Lord, for all of us in the areas of our lives where we need this strength, Lord, please give it to us. Help us find the breakthrough that we need in our lives. Lord, as we continue this series of breakthrough, Lord, I just pray that you just continue to do amazing things in people's lives. You can just continue to just break through into the areas that they need you the most. Lord, I pray that we look back on the year of 2015. We'll say, you know what, I started that year with breakthrough and I haven't looked back. That you did something incredible for me in 2015 and I'm never gonna forget it. Lord, thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do, Lord. I believe you're gonna do incredible things, Lord, and I'm already gonna give you praise and glory for what you're going to do, Lord, because that's who you are. Lord, help us to take these lessons to our hearts and apply them to our lives and find breakthrough in our lives. And I pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message. If you'd like to learn more about Parkway Church, you can visit us online at parkway-church.com.